Exodus 20 and verse number, verse number 14. The Bible said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless the reading of thy word. Thank you for your presence this morning. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you'd meet with us these next few moments. Lord, I pray that you'd touch my mind and my tongue and help me not to say anything that the uh, Lord doesn't need to be said. And I pray you'd silence the devil this morning. God, I ask you to speak to us and through us. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to say this morning that we would all agree that adultery is sin. Uh, we would all agree that it is wickedness this morning. I don't think that it is something that we have to elaborate a lot about concerning the sin of adultery within itself. But I do think the question ought to be asked, why uh, should we preach on adultery in this day and time? I think number one, because adultery is sin. Number two, because the Bible condemns it and calls it out to be sin. Another reason we ought to preach on adultery is because society has accepted it and has taught it as an alternative lifestyle. But I want to say this morning that what God condemns, we should never accept as a lifestyle in this society. We ought to preach against adultery because our youth needs to know that it is sin. They need to hear it from the pulpit. They need to hear it uh, from mom and dad that adultery is a sin that uh, has a deep scar that though there may be forgiveness, there'll be severe consequences throughout the rest of your life uh, if you commit this sin. And then we ought to preach on it because our homes and our marriages in America are in great trouble concerning the sin of adultery. And you think about it this morning, statistically speaking, over 50% of homes have been touched in some form or fashion by the sin of adultery. Uh, my friend, it's not just sin this morning, but I want to say it's a sin against oneself. The Bible says uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 18, flee fornication. And when you think about fornication, it's not just uh, uh, it's not just having a rela physical relationship uh, before marriage, but the word fornication engulfs all types of sexual sins. It deals with uh, it deals with fornication fornication within itself, uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, sex before marriage, but it also deals with the sin of adultery. It also deals with the sin of homosexuality. It engulfs all that type of sin. You say, why is that, preacher? Well, because an unmarried man uh, can have a relationship with a married woman, uh, and he has committed both uh, fornication and adultery because he too is guilty of breaking that marriage contract just as she is. So fornication covers it all. It deals with all types of that. Homosexuality is sin. It's fornication. It can be also adultery when you think about it. As gross and as wicked as it is. But we ought to preach on it because it is a sin against oneself. It also is a sin against society because when you think about what society is made up of, it's made up of families. It's made up of homes. And so therefore it does not just affect one person, one individual, but it affects an entire society within itself. America is ate up with the sin of adultery. And when you stop and think about the Ten Commandments, that my friend, these commandments, as I mentioned in some sermon uh, past, that these commandments here are the, found, the very foundation of our moral, our civil, and our religious uh, uh, belief. Amen? Uh, so listen, think about America. How better America would be this morning. The shape spiritually that America would be in if America just followed the Ten Commandments. If there wasn't no killing... 
if there wasn't no stealing, if there wasn't no uh, adultery, if there wasn't no bearing false witness, uh, if everyone kept God's holy day and kept it right, uh, uh, listen, if there was no other gods in America, if they didn't use the Lord's name in vain, uh, how different our school system, our court systems, uh, our churches, uh, and our homes would be in America today. I want to tell you the sin of adultery is a sin against society. It's against oneself. The Bible said, Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Amen. It's a sin against the family, the wife, the husband, or the children. It's a sin against the church. The Bible said in the book of Romans, chapter number 14 and verse number 7, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. If someone in the church commits adultery, they ought to come before the church and confess it as sin and condemn it as sin and get right with God. Can I get an amen right there? You can't sweep it under the rug. Amen. You can't go on like it didn't happen. The pastor can't go on like it did not happen. Doesn't matter if it's his own family. It doesn't matter if it, uh, listen, if it's uh, uh, someone that's close to him. Doesn't matter, uh, listen, if it's a, a high profile, if you want to use that for lack of a better term, uh, a person within the church. It doesn't matter if it's a rich person in the church. Uh, uh, whenever someone commits the sin of adultery, both parties have to come forward. They have to confess it as sin and the church is to condemn it and the church is to forgive them and they are to go on. That's the only way to really deal with it. But what we're seeing today is we're living in a church realm where nobody wants to talk about it and nobody wants to deal with it. You say, but preacher, if you expose it, it can rip the church apart. It'll rip the church apart if you don't expose it. Amen? And more so than that, God will withdraw his presence and God will not put his blessing whenever adultery gets with him the church. It's a sin against the church. It's a sin against the nation. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 22 says this, if a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou notice this, put away evil from Israel. Now don't you think God we don't live in the Old Testament? There'd be a lot of funerals going on today, wouldn't they? Not because of COVID. But I'm telling you, uh, thank God we do live in grace and uh, the grace dispensation. And so if the pastor has to deal with adultery, uh, listen, don't go off and talk about the, uh, the man of God for trying to do what's right just because it's a friend or a family member. Don't side with your family member. If a family member commits adultery in the church uh, and say, well, uh, uh, there ought to be some type of, don't go, don't listen, don't stir the devil up in the church uh, and go off and talk about the church for trying to do the right thing. Uh, uh, listen, just thank God God, they don't have to die. Amen. And if you commit adultery and you have to stand before the church and confess your sin, just thank God that we're not living in the Old Testament when everybody picked up rocks and threw rocks. But thank God there is grace. But listen, there still has to be repentance. Amen. It's a sin against the church. It's a sin against the nation. America is under the judgment of God because we've looked the other way and we no longer call it adultery. We no 
long, listen, we've accepted it in society. Uh, I think politicians uh, ought to be held to the same standard that preachers ought to be held to. Uh, and when they commit adultery, uh, uh, they have disqualified themselves uh, because they're a public figure. And they have, uh, listen, they have, have, said they have uh, brought their name uh, ashamed to their name. Amen. You say, preachers, that include everybody? It includes everybody. There's no exceptions. It's a sin against God. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 33. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall never be wiped away. You know, that's the thing about adultery. David found forgiveness, didn't he? But the Bible said the sword shall never depart out of your house. Before you think about breaking that marriage covenant, before you think about a one-night fling, remember it'll cost you everything. Before you think about crossing that line that God said not to cross, remember this. You say, oh, but preacher, I can repent. Well, listen, that's a premeditated sin. There's a high price to pay for that, friend. And God surely could bring a person to a place where they would repent and surely they could find forgiveness. But remember the reproach is never wiped away. The sin, the scar will always be there. Even in the ministry, when a man of God falls in adultery, a lot of times they want to pick up and just carry on like it didn't happen uh, and they want to talk about forgiveness and they want to talk about uh, God's mercy and God's grace and we believe in every bit of that. Somebody say amen. But the scar, the reproach uh, is never taken away. I fear that this morning. I fear that like a snake in this room because if I was to fall and God forbid, I believe you would forgive me. But I couldn't continue pastoring this church. I couldn't continue preaching with the blessings of God. Now that'll get you put out in some places. But it's in the book. Ephesians 5 and verse number 5 says this. It's such a sin against God. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, nor who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9 said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21 and verse number 8 said, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burned with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You may be sitting here this morning and say, Preacher, I'm saved by the grace of God, but I, once in my lifetime I committed adultery. Maybe it was even after you got saved. Uh, uh, where does that put me? You've got to remember that the Apostle Paul is not talking about a one-time act. Uh, that Jesus forgave gave a woman in John chapter number 8 that was caught in the very act of adultery. Isn't that right? Uh, the woman at the well uh, received forgiveness uh, and redemption. God does save. God does deliver those uh, uh, that commit adultery. Uh, David was a believer. Uh, David knew the spirit of God when he committed adultery. And David found forgiveness. So what are these verses talking about? It's talking about a lifestyle. Amen. It's talking about ones that live that lifestyle. When I'm simply saying, friend, uh, a man that is a whoremonger, a man 
man that's an adulterer, a woman that's an adulteress. Uh, listen, they're, they're living that life. Uh, and listen, there's no consequences. Uh, and they tell you they're saved. The Bible says they're not saved. You see, the question about that is not, can a saved person commit adultery? For you know they can. The question is, can a saved person continue in adultery? And the question, the answer to that question is no. A preacher friend of mine that has preached here many years ago told me one morning, he made the phone call, and I remember when I picked the phone up, I saw his name on the caller ID, I picked the phone up, he was sobbing on the other end. And he told me, he said, the devil got me. He was weeping. Before he ever said what he committed, I realized what he was talking about. And he told me this, he said... Brother Gravely, he said, my wife didn't find out. He said, the woman that I was with, her husband didn't find out. He said, but God knew. And this is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, I don't know how a saved person can live every day having committed adultery and not got right with God. He said, every morning for two weeks when I would open my eyes, I'm talking about a one-time act, he said, every morning for two weeks after that, he said, I would open my eyes and the first thought that would run through my mind is, today the day that my sins are going to find me out. He said, I couldn't live with it any longer. He said, I, I told my wife, I confessed it to my wife. He said, I confessed it to that lady's husband. He said, me and my wife went before the church. He said, I confessed it to the church. And this is what he said. He said, I cannot tell you how good it feels. To be right with God for people to know. I want to tell you this morning, it's a heinous sin, isn't it? It's one that ought to bring silence across the congregation. It ought to bring fear to the multitude this morning. I want to say this morning that when we think about this sin how wicked and how heinous it is. And no doubt there may be people sitting here this morning that uh, you're right with God, but you have fallen prey to this sin. I, I want to say this morning, I'm thankful for the grace of God. And I know that you're thankful for the grace of God. And, and if God has forgiven you, then, then press on and go on for the glory of God. But understand that there are people here that I'm preaching to this morning that have never crossed that line. And maybe perhaps someone sitting here is thinking about that. Maybe some home is in trouble and some spouse does not even know it. I, I tell you what I pray to God will do this morning. I pray that God will put so much fear in your soul uh, that you'll run to the Psalter today uh, and do business with God before you wreck your home. Amen. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject on home wreckers and heartbreakers. And when we think about it this morning, I'm not just thinking about this act. But I want you to think about when God speaks about adultery in the Bible. He speaks about it in three forms. And I want to give them to you this morning and be done. Three types of adultery. Because if the Ten Commandments has proven anything in my life, it has proven this. That as an individual, I have a tendency to read them and say, well, guilty of that. But thank God I'm not guilty of that. What the commandments teaches is we're guilty of all this morning. I know if we offend in one, then we're guilty of all, but we're literally, this morning, we are guilty of every commandment. 
It's all but not me, preacher. I want you to know that I've never committed adultery. Three types of adultery. Number one, there's physical adultery. That's what's in this text here. The commandment has been given to Israel that they're to honor the, the holy bonds of matrimony. That they are to stay within their limitation, their, their bounds. That, that is a covenant when a man and woman comes together. That it is until death do us part. And that what God hath brought together, let no man put asunder, including that man or that woman. That they're not to break that bond. They're not to step outside that bond of, of holy matrimony. And how we need a revival of that in America. When we need to, when we need to honor, uh, listen, the, uh, uh, the, the vows, the marriage vows at the altar. It ought to mean something, amen. Now, I'm not criticizing people for this, but I personally don't believe in renewing vows because I think when a vow is made, it's to be kept. It doesn't need renewal. I understand that people do that because they just want to kind of relive the moment. They uh, somehow, uh, you know, but I tell you, when you make a vow before God, it's, listen, the Bible said it's better not to make a vow than to make one and to break it. Amen. But when you make a vow to marry someone, uh, you ought to stay with them. I understand their situation, their circumstances. I know this morning that things happen uh, beyond people's control. I can understand all of that as a pastor, but we know this morning that when it comes to the sin of adultery. There's no excuse for that. Somebody say amen. Uh, listen, uh, uh, listen, watch it hold uh, a marriage together ought to be love. Amen. That husband ought to love that wife and that wife ought to love that husband and then there ought to be loyalty. They ought to be deep devotion uh, between that husband and wife that if that temptation or if listen someone approaches you, uh, uh, listen the first thing ought to run through your mind is I, I love my husband. The second thing is how I'm loyal to my husband but ultimately what to should hold that marriage together is the Lord. Amen. Joseph told Potiphar's wife he couldn't sin against Potiphar. And I know I'm paraphrasing, but he also couldn't sin against the Lord. I want to tell you this morning that our allegiance to God ought to be what holds us to our allegiance to our spouse as well. Whenever a marriage gets in trouble, when adultery gets involved in a marriage, you can mark it down that that personal walk with God has been affected long before that physical relationship deteriorated, uh, that spiritual relationship started deteriorating. You say, well, preacher, I don't want to step out on my spouse. I want to be faithful. Let me just give you some things I jotted down concerning that physical adultery. If you want to be faithful to your spouse, uh, then don't make eyes at someone of the opposite sex. Somebody say amen right there. Don't message, text, or call someone of the opposite sex without your spouse's knowledge or approval. Amen. Let your spouse take care of it or group it. Amen. I'm talking about friend. Listen, I know a preacher friend of mine today that his home was wrecked over this very sin and it all started with a text. He said to me, if only I wouldn't have responded to the text. Do not keep private messages, secret accounts, or hidden relationships from your spouse. Do not become too friendly or develop a special bond or friendship with someone of the opposite sex. Do not let yourself be in a position that's vulnerable to Satan. Learn to love accountability by keeping your spouse informed as to where you are and what you're doing. You know, we're supposed to be connected, aren't we? That's why I don't want my spouse knowing everything I'm doing. That would tell me right there. Volumes. Amen. 
If you lock your phone from your spouse, she ought to get it and throw it at you. Amen. amen. No secrets in a marriage. Somebody say amen. No hidden accounts. No hidden agenda. Amen. Uh, everything is to be open. Amen. Everything is to be honest. Uh, I'm telling you, accountability can be your best friend or your worst enemy. It depends on how you're living. Amen. Uh, but if you'll keep accountability close, uh, then you don't have to worry about temptation when it comes. Uh, I'm just simply saying, uh, if you want to keep your spouse, do these things. Do not place yourself in a position where you're by yourself all the time. I understand jobs and things like that happen, but you need to be cautious and prayerful. Amen. A lie can destroy you as quick as anything nowadays. People's no longer innocent until proven guilty. They're guilty until they're proven innocent now. Is that not shocking? If someone was to lie on me this morning and about that and I was to stand up and say it's not true, it didn't happen, I better roll out a whole lot of proof because the day we're living in, people's always going to walk away scratching their head wondering, well, he said so, but is it so? It's happened many times before. That's the hour we're living in. And so listen, you have to be careful not to let yourself be in situations and places that can get you in trouble. And if you've got a job that puts you in that place, well, uh, listen, you just have to be very cautious and prayerful. I understand those type of things, uh, but it's got to be on your mind at all times. Spend time with your spouse. Love them. Make sure that you have a relationship with them, that you, uh, that you spend time with them. If your relationship is suffering on any level, you better get some help. Somebody say amen. amen. You, better go see, you better see the right kind of godly counsel. I'm not talking about going to a psychiatrist. I'm not talking about going to, uh, listen, some quote-unquote Christian counselor. I'm talking about seek somebody that walked with God. Uh, go to somebody that can take their Bible and help you. If you need physical help, you go see a doctor and get help. But if you ignore it, it will cost you. It will cause you problems down the road. Stay in your Bible. Walk with God. Keep your home. I want to tell you, every person that's ever fell prey to the sin of adultery left the Word of God somewhere. They quit reading. They quit praying. Doesn't mean it can't still happen. But God knows what we need the days we need it. Isn't it amazing when you read through your Bible how God will show you something just through daily Bible reading that day, that morning, and then as you go throughout the day, you run into something. That that verse that you read earlier, so I just read something about that today. That's not chance or circumstance. That's God guiding, God leading. Or maybe you'll read something and that day you'll have a conversation with somebody and they too will say something similar to the very thing you read. You want that? That's God reinforcing. I'm talking about there's physical adultery. Then go to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter number 5. I want you to look at a verse of Scripture this morning. I would just quote this passage, but I think it's important to look at it. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 28 this morning. Verse 27. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. We just read that. Verse 28 of Matthew 5. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her committeth adultery with her already. In his heart. Jesus takes it to another level. He said there's physical adultery in verse 27 that the Old Testament talked about. But Jesus talked about it in a man's heart. He talks about mental 
adultery. I want to say this morning that you and I have to be very careful what we think about. The eye, the ear gate is so important. The Bible said in verse 29, and if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. Notice what he said in verse number 30, and if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. He's talking about how we deal with sin. We can't look at things and it not affect us. We can't listen to things and it not affect us. That's why it's so important that, that, you, don't, that you don't listen to rock music or country music. Somebody say amen. And it's important that you don't endorse it neither. Somebody say amen. I'm shocked at people sometimes. How they'll endorse a country song or a rock song. I'll tell you, that's as wicked as listening to it yourself. But I want to tell you this morning, uh, we live in a society where that's just, it's okay. Even in the church world, it, listen, can I, I just, just mark this down, amen? Rock music is sin. Amen. Country music is sin. Amen. amen? You say, well, why is it sin? It don't magnify God, number one. Amen. It doesn't glorify God. It glorifies the devil. It glorifies wicked singing. It glorifies, uh, listen, uh, uh, drugs and alcohol and, and all types of perverted lifestyle. Need I go on anymore? Uh, but there's many reasons uh, uh, why it's wrong. And if you're saved uh, and if you're right with God, uh, you cannot listen to it and not the, the Holy Spirit tell you it's wrong. And when somebody puts something on social media, don't endorse it. Amen. I'm telling you this morning, we're in trouble today. Because nothing's wrong with anything anymore. The Bible talks about mental adultery, the fantasies, what goes through people's minds. You say, well, I never acted. No, but what about the thought process? That's what's wrong with country music and rock music. It puts the thoughts in your mind. You think on it so, the Bible says, a man think, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You see, this morning, Jesus says, he takes it to a different level. And he says here that if a man looketh upon a woman to lust after her. That's why it's important that women dress right. And now we have to preach on men dressing right. Men want to wear tight clothes. It used to only be the women want to put on tight clothes. But now, I bought a shirt the other day. And he said it was a 17 and a half extra large. Now everybody knows what I wear, don't you? I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But I, I put that shirt on and I'm like, this ain't no 17 and a half. Or else I've ate one, I've ate too many meals lately. And I, and I looked at the tag and <laughs> the tag said, I'm not telling you what the tag said. He might as well put homo on there. I told my wife, I said, we got to take this back. We got one of these fag shirts. It ain't going to fit. Amen. I don't want a shirt that, uh, you know, that, that looks like you've been uh, melted down and poured in it. Uh, hey, boys, uh, uh, your clothes ought to be loose-fitting. Somebody say amen. Uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, your pants ought to be loose-fitting. Amen. Uh, if you walk down the aisle and seven people get nervous, uh, your britches are way too tight. Amen. Uh, and, brother, I'm telling you, if it changes the way you walk, uh, they're way too tight. Hey, that's still good preaching. Amen. Uh, I'm telling you, that's why we raise a homo generation uh, uh, because uh, uh, moms and dads just let them dress any old way. Uh, listen, don't get you one of these haircuts uh, uh, that's shaved up one side uh, and shaved up the other. Uh, I mean, listen, look like a man. Somebody say man. I'm really not preaching on it, but I got to say something about it. 
we're in trouble today. And while I'm on the subject, if you sing in this church, there's a platform standard. But I don't really like that phrase, platform standard. Let me back up on that. It's a Bible standard, and that's not just for the platform. That's for the, that's for the pews. I don't really have a platform standard. I reckon in a sense for a thing or two, I might. But I'm telling you, listen, those dresses need to go to the bottom of the knee. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. I may miss it a time or two, but if I, I'm not gonna, we're not going to start that in here. You ever start it, you, it never stops. It just goes higher and goes lower. Make sure it's covered. Y'all still with me out there, aren't you? I'm just, I feel like I need to preach on this. I'm not being mean. I, I take decency and morality. I, it's just gone in this generation. And we still ought to have it because it's in the Bible. Amen. Now, if you're a godly lady, you ought to want your dress to be long. Uh, and you ought to want it to be loose. Uh, and you ought to not be trying to show everything. Somebody say amen. Uh, and if you're a godly uh, man, you ought to uh, want your clothes to be loose enough. Uh, and you're not, you ought not to be trying to show your chest anyway. Uh, that just makes me want to laugh, doesn't it, you? <laughs> Oh, a guy the other day for crying out loud he was 50 something years old and he had on a muscle shirt the only problem was he didn't have no muscles <laughs> he had the furniture disease you know where your chest falls through your drawers you know? and I looked at him and I thought sir you're not helping your situation if you're looking for somebody you're not going to get them dressed like that amen I'm just simply saying, what's wrong with society? Clothes were made to put on, not take off. I'll tell you, say, well, they ought not look, and they ought, they shouldn't look, uh, but don't tempt them, amen? Uh, and listen, just because somebody's looking don't mean you look good neither. Somebody say amen. Uh, I'm talking about, tell you, they may be looking for the wrong reason, uh, uh, but I'm just simply saying there ought to be some decency in that. Amen. You don't want nobody to look at you other than your spouse. And a 40-year-old man that's got a Facebook or a Twitter or all that mess, and he's got 20, a bunch of 20-something-year-old girls. If I was that man's wife, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd put him in a dark room with a light in his face. <laughs> Brother Daniel, I'd interrogate him like I was Chuck Norris. <laughs> And I'd break his neck if he answered the wrong question. Come on, y'all with me? You say, why do you say that? Because I'm telling you, uh, listen, you used to, now there's perverts in church. What's a 40-year-old man, a 35-year-old man, what's he talking to 18, 19, and 20-year-old girls on Facebook, amen? I'm talking about, friend, you're opening the doors. What you're doing, that's going to get you in a mess, amen? And no, you may have never went to bed with them physically, but in your mind, in your heart, uh, uh, there's things you say you ought not talk that way. If you got a television, I've not said anything this morning that you've probably not heard over and over and over. The only difference is I'm going to salvage somebody, amen? I'm telling you, it'll rip a church all to pieces. It'll rip a home all to pieces. I'm saying middle. Listen, adultery is just as bad as anything else. We've all been guilty of faults that we, we would never want anybody to know. This morning, you're not guilty when you see something.
Jesus said, if a man looketh upon a woman, that, that's to gaze with an intent. If a woman come in dressed like a harlot this morning, and I saw her, I'm not guilty at that point. But if I take that second look, that's a willful act. I didn't ask for her to come prancing in. And I listen, if a woman came in that way this morning, you say, what do you think about that preacher? I'm glad she's here because I hope she gets saved. I'm not worried about that in her life if she's lost. But can I stop and say, I have been in some churches and seen a few hussies that came in that, listen, they wanted to get up and sing and they wanted to get in the choir and sing. And you know that as well as I do. And all they had on their mind was who they could destroy. So we ought to preach against it, shouldn't we? This morning, if you want to keep from committing mental adultery, start by not looking at the wrong things in people, social media, magazines, movies, people who are seductive. Look at the right things. Amen. The eye and the ear gates the door of the mind, and the mind is the hall to the soul, hallway to the soul. Fill it with things that are holy and decent, pure and clean. Keep out those things that cause your mind to wander and go places it shouldn't go. Stay in the Word of God in prayer daily. Ask God to keep your thoughts, to guard your thoughts. Avoid and dismiss things when they come up. Amen. Memorize Scripture. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Avoid certain people. Hey, just some people you better stay away from. You can pray for them, but you better run like they got leprosy, friend. Avoid certain places. You don't need some activities and acquaintances in your life. Neither do I. Friend, if you don't put garbage in your mouth, don't put it in your mind. Amen. I want to say lastly this morning, there's mental adultery, physical adultery, and then there's spiritual adultery. Go to James chapter number 3 this morning. James chapter 4. One last passage of Scripture. You see, this morning, I can stand here not bragging. I think many of you could say this. I'm not bragging when I say this. I can stand here this morning and say that, no, I've not committed physical adultery, and I don't look down on people who have. When it comes to the mind and when it comes to spiritual adultery, how do we fare this morning? Because what... We find in this text here is you say, well, I, preacher, I'm not guilty of the first. I'm not guilty of the second. But what about this, James 4 and verse number 3? You ask and receive not. Because you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I want to say this morning that when it comes to adultery, there is physical, there is mental, and there's spiritual. You think about it this morning, the Bible tells us over and over that Israel committed fornication, adultery, in a spiritual sense. They turned their back from God and turned to the gods of this world love the things of this world, love the world. I want to say, then if you look at it from a, uh, from a biblical standpoint, the worst kind of adultery of all is spiritual adultery. To run out on God is 
and to step out on God, to be unfaithful to God is worse than as bad and as wicked. You say, but preacher, that's really bad for someone to commit physical adultery, and it is, and it's wicked, and it's really bad because it affects us, because it comes down to where we live. But let's turn it around. Let's put it on God's level. Let's look at how it affects God. The spiritual adultery is every bit as worse and then some. God said here, you're adulterers and adulteresses. Why were they that? Look at verse number four. Because they had a friendship with the world. And God said, if you're a friend of this world, God said, you're my enemy. This morning, our churches are ate up of worldliness. I don't preach hard to be mean. I hope you know that. And I don't preach hard because I enjoy it because I really don't if you want to know the truth. I preach it because I see what was standing at the door this morning. At the door of this church. And I see what's standing at the door of your home in my home this morning. Some of the greatest Christians and best people that I ever met that loved God and walked with Jesus and were faithful and God used them. The devil got them. And before it became physical, it became spiritual. Backsliding on God is so dangerous because it wrecks your home in so many ways. When we think about home wreckers, uh, we think about some floozy, we think about some whoremonger. But what about people? What about a mom and dad that goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but they're not serious about their Christian life? They're just kind of half in and half out. They're more devoted or as much devoted to things of this world as they are the things of God. And so therefore their children grow up in an environment where they've been taught to carry a King James Bible. They've been taught to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. The only difference is uh, they never seem the godliness in the home. They never seen the devotion in the home. It was one way at the church house, but it was another way through the week. And so they grew up in that knowing that we do go to church and yes, we're to love God, but we really don't have to be that committed to God. Be that devoted. If we want to lay out a church on Wednesday night, it's okay. If we want to go to the ball field on Wednesday night, Soccer, volleyball, softball, baseball, basketball. If you kicked a ball into hell, a lot of badness would go after it. It's okay. Now, the, I don't know what parents would tell their children about that or if they tell them anything. I've often wondered that. But they know, they see. You say, preacher, I've done that. What I do, confess it to them. Tell them it was wrong. Make it right. And tell them you'll never do it again. And that they should never do that. You can make wrongs right, can't you? You can, you can undo. You say, well, I, I've, I've really made a lot of mistakes. Well, that, But you can make it right this morning. That's why we're here. Amen. This morning, your spouse would never ask you to be perfect. At least I hope not. <laughs> but they would ask you to be devoted. And God does not ask us to be perfect. He asks us to be devoted. And if we'll be devoted, God will, oh, He'll overlook. He won't overlook, but He'll make right. You know what I'm saying? So many mistakes. He'll forgive. He'll cleanse. He'll help us. You say, preacher, have you fallen? Have you failed God? Sure I have. 
But I can tell you I don't want to. I can tell you when I do it grieves me because I know it grieves God. And I tell you when I do that I so hate myself, my flesh and I wish it wasn't that way and I look forward to the day when I'll never be a disappointment to God again. When I'll never have another blunder. When I'll never have to worry about another mistake. When I'll never have to say Father forgive me again. I'll never have to say I'm sorry again. But until then and I am devoted to this uh, that as hard as I may try and as much as I may stumble uh, I'm just going to get up uh, and keep on going. Uh, he knows I'm not perfect uh, but he knows I'm devoted. Amen. Uh, I'm telling you she knows I'm not perfect uh, but she knows that I'm devoted uh, and that ought to be true with all of us. Amen. Spouse deserves one thing if they deserve anything. They deserve the right to be able to trust you. And while I'm on the subject, spouse, if they've not given you a right or a reason to not trust them, then stop. Stop doubting them. You're going to destroy your home as quick as adultery by driving your spouse crazy when they've not given you a reason. This morning... I want to say this in closing as they get us a song ready. Real revival is when we become more devoted to God. It took me a long time to see that. I like great meetings. I like it when it gets out of the banks. I like it when God moves through service. Like this morning. Wasn't that so good? But what good is all that if there's no devotion? You know the difference between reality and emotionalism? Reality, there's devotion to God. You watch somebody get up that's devoted to God and God floods their soul and they shout and they testify or they sing, whatever they do. God's pleased with that because there's devotion there. They're not perfect, but they're devoted. On the other hand, you could take somebody that lives any old way does any old thing and they can say the same things that they said they can they can even put on a good show but when you look at their life you know I often thought about this if I can see that you know God sees it when there's no devotion it's just emotionalism I love this church and the fact that you don't have to come in here and pump and prime Sometimes you never know, do you, what's going to happen around here. Sometimes we'll come in first song, boy, God will move. Sometimes we'll come in and it'll be just a good preaching service. Sometimes we'll come in, we'll go home and wonder if God ever showed up. Anybody ever done that? But it's real. And I'd rather have real. I'd rather have real as to have a push button and everybody know what's going to happen when you get here. Amen. I got one more thing in my heart. Lord, help me remember it. This morning, it's a great sin we ought to take seriously. We ought to be careful this morning. Careful. Extra careful. This morning, you ought to thank God for your spouse. You ought to thank God for them. You ought to tell them that. Not saying you have to tell them that today, but you ought to tell them that from time to time. I'm sure you do. Don't take them for granted. They could be gone, couldn't they? 
They could be gone. It's the little things that you'll miss when they're gone. Like a dryer sheet. <laughs> I'm blaming her, but you know what? I did that, didn't I? You know what? You ought to thank God for your spouse. Don't let somebody come in, move in, keep your guard up. Amen. Keep your guard up. God will bless you for that. There's something else I wanted to hit, but I just wanted to, I want to, oh, I know, I want to say one thing. It's heavy on my heart, and we're going to have invitation. People sometimes leave a church, they go to the world. And when they go to the world, <clears throat> they're always going to blame the church. They're going to blame the preacher. That doesn't even bother me anymore. It's happened many times. It'll happen many times. I'm not the only preacher that's ever happened to. It doesn't even bother me, Brother Jason. That's just how that is when people... But you know why that is? Because when people commit adultery... They never blame themselves unless they're getting right. It's always their spouse's fault. They'll say, well, they drove me to this. But the fact is, they made the choice. They had to make that choice to commit that sin. When people go to the world, they have to make that choice. We didn't push them in that direction. And while I'm on that subject, don't coddle them when they do. Don't, don't treat them as if nothing didn't happen. I, I'm, I'm shocked at people that just treat like... You say, well, Brother Gravely, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to, to reach them. You'll never reach them that way. You got to let them go, friend. You can't treat them like everything's A-OK because everything's not A-OK when people get away from God. Somebody say amen right there. Don't go on Facebook and be their best friend. Don't go on social media and act like nothing. They say, well, well, I'm just trying to, well, they'll feel like everybody cut them off. They'll feel like, no, they're going to say that anyway. You know why? Because they cut everybody off. They made the choice, not us. And I'll give you a proof text on it this morning. When that prodigal son went to the far country, no words in that story. Did the product or did the father ever go to where that boy was? He let him go. You know why he let him go? He wanted him to know that what he was doing was wrong. He wanted him to know the way he was going wasn't right. See, as long as you're hitting like on everything, as long as you're commenting on everything, when they're going out there, you're you're the problem, you're not the solution. That's why you preach that, because I love them people too. And I want them people to get right. And I don't have anybody particular in mind, but I got about 20 people running through my head who used to be in this church. And they'll get out there and they'll, they're, they're, they're doing things that ain't right. And church members go on there and hit like. I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. Because you're not helping, friend. You got to let them hit bottom. That prodigal son had to get into the hog pen. 
before he would ever come to himself. And I'm so afraid that there's going to be people that went to the world and we get to the judgment seat, God's going to turn to some other members in church and say, you know why they never come home? Because you kept making them think everything was okay. You kept making them think it was all right. If you really want them to get right with God, you pray for them. When you see them in town, you love them. You be nice to them. But you don't celebrate their sin. Not for one second. This morning as we stand.